Hello, and welcome to Science for the People. I'm Rochelle Saunders, and dear listeners, it is once again that time of year when we grab a couple of prolific readers to look back through the stacks of books they read this past year and pick from amongst them the best of the bunch. Here are the books they loved, the books you might consider picking up for yourself, or for that science reader on your Christmas list. And as in past years, if you don't have a touchscreen or a keyboard or an old-fashioned pen and paper handy to jot down all the excellent titles and author we're about to throw at you, we will have a blog post live on our website where you can find the complete list of books you'll hear about on today's show, including links to where you can buy them online. If you're thinking of buying one of these books or any book you hear about on any past episode, check out the books list for this episode or the bookshelf section on our website where we keep all of them in one big collection for your perusal. And if you use our links to buy these books on Amazon, we get a little kickback, usually around 50 cents or so, for sending you over. So you can also use your Christmas shopping to support the show, free of charge. All of these links and lists will be up on our website, scienceforthepeople.ca, and we'll link to that book list in the show notes for this episode. With me today is Joanne Manister, a faculty lecturer in biology at the University of Illinois School of Integrative Biology, and a science educator and communicator who is also known as Science Goddess on Twitter. Joanne, lovely to have you back. Great. Thanks for having me. And returning once again for another year of book recommendations is our own John Dupuis, who is our unofficial official librarian in residence. John is a scholarly publishing librarian and an engineering liaison at the Stacy Science and Engineering Library at York University in Toronto, and blogs at Confessions of a Science Librarian, which you can find over on Scientopia. John, as always, lovely to have you back. Great to be back. It's number nine for you, so I've heard. Number nine, and I think the fifth one of these. Ooh, that's very <laughs> exciting. I can't believe we've done five of these. Wow, Okay. So I like to start these out the same way every year, and a good place to start is approximately how many science books have you read in the past year? Just to give uh, our listeners an idea of how many you're picking from. Um, I can go. So I would say 25 science books and then 25 other nonfiction books. So given the state of the world, I think I've shifted a little to putting other nonfiction that's not quite science related. Yeah, I, I hit about 60 to 70 books in total, and about of those, about 25 science books, and another 10 to 15 miscellaneous uh, nonfiction. So last year, we talked a little bit about how some of the events uh, of 20, late 2016 and into 2017 had changed some of your reading habits. So I'm interested to find out this year, are we still kind of working on some of those same changes? Are, do we have any new changes that have happened to your reading habits? Any, any shifts we should know about? Well, I think for me, I think what's happened is I've certainly over the last few years, I've read considerably less fiction. I think this year, my fiction, uh, looking at my fiction uh, choices, it's a little less dark and depressing than maybe it was for 2017. And I think even my general nonfiction was a little less, I think 2017 was a tough year in a lot of ways. Um, but I think, uh, you know, my choices this year were a little less, were a little less completely depressing. Although the, the main theme of, I think, my nonfiction reading was, in particular, my kind of sci-tech reading was just how evil technology is. And that's generally, I'm fairly optimistic. So, so looking back over the year, 
the number of technology is evil books that I read actually kind of surprises me. I'm looking forward to hearing some of these because last year, John, you recommended Death and Life of the Great Lakes, which I read after you recommended it. And I loved it. What a great book. What about you, Joanne? Oh, yeah, it was terrific. What about you, Joanne? Any shifts in your reading habits this year? Um, I think I've always been a little bit interested in um, worldwide politics. So there's a lot of on Russia and North Korea that I've been reading. I also dove into Crashed, How a Decade of Financial Crisis Changed the World. Um, it was like 720 pages. It was a great book, though. I'm, I'm not a finance person or whatever, but so I really enjoyed that. But I, I do see a lot of, you know, I, I did um, uh, a few memoirs of uh, growing up a little, you know, less privileged, right? I did a few of those, but um, a lot about politics, world politics, and, and how, you know, a lot of these books are saying, well, this is how we ended up with the political climate we have now. All right. So let's get started with the cream of the crop. From your perspective, looking back at what you read over this past year, what is the best book you read? And Joanne, let's start with you. Okay. My favorite book, and it's also in the category of a book I could not put down, was Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup by John Carreyrou. And um, this is great investigative reporting about Theranos. And uh, I just was incensed as I read the book, the things that the Elizabeth Holmes was getting away with and the fact that she wouldn't do any research herself on the the limits of our technology to analyze blood. She had a great vision and she would just tell people make this vision happen without being knowledgeable herself and driving people, you know, to do things that just could not be done. And ultimately, she's, you know, um, being indicted for fraud. And she she's very charismatic, able to get a lot of money, but not not very well informed, I think. John, what about you? Uh, well, first of all, that Bad Blood book was was on my list for this year. I didn't get a chance to read it, so now it's definitely back on my list for uh, for catching up a little bit next year. But so I'll I'll I'll, use, I'll do my typical um, trick and actually mention two favorite books: one regular book and one graphic novel. My favorite. Uh, my favorite book this year uh, was easily Lost in Math, How Beauty Leads Physics Astray by Sabina Hossenfelder, which I th- I'm, I've always been kind of interested in the in the culture of science and in the culture of uh, kind of high energy and theoretical physics research. It just seems to be kind of a really interesting case study in, in how science gets done. And Hossenfelder's book is really an amazing, it's really an amazing explanation of how physics culture, how the physics research culture has kind of gone on the wrong path over the, say, the last 10 or 20 years. Uh, basically, the thesis is that um, physicists look to what they think of as things as beautiful or natural, as opposed to kind of um, just following where the facts and where the research and where the data leads. And so they tend to get, you know, seduced a little bit by math. And I thought that was a really great, it was just a really, really amazing book, uh, really reminiscent of Lee Smolin's Trouble with Physics from a few years ago, really extending that conversation. I was going to ask about that, how how that compared, because I did like that book a lot. Oh, un- yes, very much. Uh, and I think Smolin has a new book coming out in 2019, uh, which should also even more extend that conversation. And the thing okay. that I liked best about Hassenfelder's book, 
often these kinds of physics culture books can be a little dry. And hers is actually pretty hilarious. Uh, she has lots of great zingers and one-liners. She certainly takes the work very seriously, but doesn't take herself very seriously. And that's and that I found uh, it's a it's just a great read, both in terms of the content and the style. And so my favorite graphic novel for the year will be Brazen: Rebel Ladies Who Rocked the World by Penelope Bagieux. and. It's only I would. It's mostly not about um, women in science. It's mostly about women in all kinds of other areas. But there's a bunch of kind of sciencey women uh, featured: Hedy Lamarr, Temple Grandin, Mae Jemison, and a, and a few others. And again, this book it was just fantastic. It's just short graphic biographies of the women, and it contrasts really interesting from a similar book we we discussed I think last year or the year before which was um, earnest but dull. And this is neither earnest nor dull. <laughs> it's hilarious and fantastic. Uh, and so it's, got a, it's, it's very funny. The, the, the short, short prof profiles are super engaging. The art is, is really great. And so, yeah, it was just one of the books that really, uh, really stood out for me in the year. I'm just going to do a quick shout out to one of my favorite, probably my standout favorite book that I read this year, which is Swearing is Good for You, The Amazing Science of Bad Language by Emma Byrne. Uh, this was great fun to read and any book that allows you to think about swearing and how we use it in our everyday life and also the utility of swearing. It's great to have an excuse to think about it as well as uh, talk to other people about it and swear a lot while you do so. It's it's just a really nicely written book, um, well-researched, a lot of thought-provoking content in there around all kinds of things you don't generally think about, the utility of swearing, and there is a lot of utility in it. Um, and Emma Byrne is delightful as well to read. She really keeps things entertaining and interesting, and I highly recommend that one. All right, I am interested in a book that changed your mind about something. Uh, well, this, this will sound... I don't know the exact word it will be, ironic, but actually the book that changed my mind about something was called How to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence. And I am a, a woman of very few vices. I like tea and the occasional soda. But um, beyond that, I don't drink or do drugs or anything. But this book actually had me thinking that there could be some good use for psychedelics. Uh, to uh, help you re-examine your life or to face uh, death if you had a terminal illness, um, if someone was addicted or um, had some other obsessive compulsive uh, problems or depression, there seems to be some hope. And they're trying to sort of figure out how to uh, make this something that could be done carefully with a guide, with trained professionals, and really make changes in people's lives. So, here I was thinking, I might try psychedelics if given the right conditions. And this, of course, is Michael Pollan. So we know it was a pretty good writing, well-researched and very interesting book. So the, the, the book for me isn't so, what, so much one that made me change my mind. But I think the theme of the book is basically um, keeping an open mind and avoiding groupthink. And that's Meltdown, Why Our Systems Fail and What We Can Do About It by Chris Clearfield and Andras Tilchik. 
Uh, basically, this is a book by sociologists analyzing kind of engineering and systems failure across all kinds of different dimensions and domains and how complexity in systems can cause failure. So in other words, transit systems, software, you know, complex software systems in financial markets. And basically, the theme of the book is that diverse teams uh, help people keep their minds open and avoid groupthink. And so in other words, I think the theme of the book, again, is how to keep your mind open and for people who are working on these kinds of projects to be uh, susceptible to having their minds changed about something. Interesting. So it's it's more about the kind of value of a diverse team when you're trying to build something complex, I guess. Exactly. Right. So basically, it it, it analyzes these kinds of complex system failures and say, okay, how do we avoid these failures? And one of the ways to avoid failures is to is for people to keep an open mind. And one of the ways that helps people keep an open mind is is have teams where people are thinking different things. Cool. Sounds like and, a really and, good and book. aren't afraid to express what they're thinking. Uh, of course, the key, you have to be able to use the people and the way they think differently, not just right. uh, have them around uh, to sort of show off. Um, kind of on the same bent, what about uh, a book that was really informative, one that made you learn something that you really didn't know before that sort of took you to kind of unexpected places? Um, I would say uh, I was really interested in the book Endure, Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance by Alex Hutchinson. And so um, we, uh, we at Read Science had interviewed Alex. He was so keen to come on because his background is in physics and science. And he's writing about running and other extreme sports and thing, extreme things people can do. So he said most of his interviews were, of course, with the running crowd. And they all want to know, well, you know, should, should you be a little dehydrated? Or, you know, what about heat? What about, you know, all these factors that play into what can make you endure a little longer or not in performance issues, um, as well as more extreme things like lifting cars off uh, your child, you know, or something like that. Um, it was very fascinating. And, um, and of course, the, the answers aren't super clear, but there's a lot of science behind it. So he was happy to come on to Read Science and talk about the science behind it, rather than just to keep answering runners questions. Um, but the book was really, really interesting. So for me, being someone who's fairly technologically optimistic uh, by nature, it was actually a cluster of books that I think over the course of the whole year that I read that really helped me understand uh, at, I guess, a deeper level, the uh, I guess the more problematic aspects of the technological culture we've, we've grown into. Uh, the first one, Automating Inequality, How High-Tech Tools Profile Police and Punish the Poor by Virginia Eubanks is a really amazing uh, kind of social scientific study of how um, algorithms that are used to kind of stream people in social services are actually pretty ter a pretty terrible idea. Uh, and so that's actually, that, I would say of this cluster, that was my, that was my favorite uh, in that sense that it's a super clear explanation, very accessible, but really makes, you know, a deep dive into this kind of case study, a very compelling study of, of the, the caution that we have to approach this kind of algorithmic, uh, uh, social service bent that we're in. Uh, I also really enjoyed uh, 
Algorithms of Oppression by Safia Noble, Anti-Social Media by Siva Vaidhyanathan, and Brotopia by Emily Chang. And again, the the anti-social media was, I mean, I've always been fairly skeptical of Facebook, but anti-social media is a, a pretty systematic takedown of uh, Facebook. And uh, definitely uh, just every day in the news, you're thinking, we should have listened to Siva Vaidhyanathan uh, much more carefully over the course of the years. Those um those titles you call out, I haven't read any of them, but they remind me of uh, Kathy O'Neill's Weapons of Math Destruction, which Absolutely. I quite enjoyed. I think I read that Absolutely. one in not last year, but the year before. Right, uh, and yeah, I, I, I read um, I read uh, Brotopia, and that, that was also very informative. I I went, wow, I didn't know all of this. <laughs> Oh, for sure. The, to just the toxic boys club of right. Silicon Valley. I think we all kind of know it's there. Yes. But the way the author went through, you know, just took the various aspects of the toxic culture. And some of them are just, some of it is is horrible. And some of it is, I don't know, al- again, almost hilarious how awful these people are. But yet we, we've somehow come to the point where we see them as our saviors. But yet they're really awful people. Yes, I do remember taking that away <laughs> from the, the book. <laughs> and, and it's interesting that you mentioned the uh, weapons of math destruction, because, again, I think what I'm seeing in a lot of my reading is that there's these themes that are being carried over from year to year, that uh, conversations that are just getting advanced. Um, and that's kind of a really interesting, that's kind of a really interesting byproduct of reading so many kind of science and technology books every year. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I've noticed this as well over periods of time that if I were to look back through all of the books I've read, say over the last 10 years, in particular, the science books, which is the vast majority of my reading these days, um, I do see trends that I can kind of lift out. There's clearly in time, things I was thinking about a lot or ideas that I sought books out for or clusters of books that kind of came out at the same time that were either topical or dealt with an issue that was much regarded or much discussed in the news. Um, and I, I definitely agree with you right now. As I look through the book recommendations or I look through the lists of new books uh, that are getting put out or have recently been put out, there is definitely this um, cluster of technology might not be the best thing in the world like we used to think, kind of those sort of books. Um, so that's obviously something that's on our collective consciousness right now, which to be fair, you only really have to look at the news to see that it is on our collective consciousness. I want to shout out a non-technology book, which is Why We Sleep, Unlocking the Power of Sleep and Dreams by Matthew Walker. Um, I had read a book on sleep years and years and years ago, and I picked this one up um, and it was a really good overview, clear, concise, very informative of the current understanding of sleep science. Um, Obviously, there's still a whole lot we don't understand about sleep, why we need it, how it works, what it actually does for us. Um, But we know a lot more now than we did five or 10 years ago. And this was a really fascinating book to read. And also one of those books where you're like, you sort of put it down after finishing it and look at your own kind of relationship with sleep a lot more closely when you realize how much damage it can do when you look at some of the studies and information that they put out or that is available now on how damaging a lack of sleep is. And from my standpoint, I've really changed a lot in my life since reading that book to try and prioritize sleep in a way that I had never done before. I had always kind of left sleep 
as a thing that I could catch up on later. But after having read this book, I, I feel a lot less like that and a lot more like I try and prioritize um, time to sleep and appropriate time to sleep and enough time to sleep in a way that I, I don't think I've done throughout the rest of my life. I am curious as well about um, any science books for children recommendations that you might have this year. Um, I, I have a couple that there were three books that had come out that were all uh, related to, you know, hands on getting in and doing things. So one is from Alom Shaha, who's in the UK. And his book is called Mr. Shaha's Recipes for Wonder. And, you know, it's your typical, here's these fun uh, things you can do at home and the science behind it. Uh, Liz Heineke, who has written, written Kitchen Pantry Science and other hands-on books, um, had one called uh, Star Wars Maker Lab, 20 Craft and Science Projects. Um, so uh, with all the excitement around the different Star Wars franchise movies uh, coming out recently, um, this one seemed to, to go pretty well. So not only do you have a craft, you also get the science explained to you. So those were two that really stood out to me. And there was an, another one, and I don't have the title with me, so I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple for me that I, I didn't read a lot of kids' books this year. Uh, usually I read more, but for some reason I didn't get to too many this year. But uh, I really enjoyed The Tantrum That Saved the World by Megan Herbert and Michael Mann. Again, a book about a book about climate change. I thought that was quite a nice book uh, aimed at young children, kind of a, one of those picture book ones. Not too scary, more hopeful than scary. So I thought that was a good one. And for slightly older kids, I would, uh, just to go back to Brazen by Penelope Bagia, I would definitely recommend, that's a book I would definitely recommend for for kids who are a little bit older. Some of the stories are a little salty. So maybe you don't want to read them to your, uh, well, maybe you do want to read them to your five-year-old uh, who maybe won't get the the salty parts, but certainly I think it's a book that uh, preteens and teens uh, would really enjoy. I'm really fond of the title, The Tantrum That Saved the World. What a great title. It's one of those books I support. Um, it was one of those books where that I supported the Kickstarter or mm -hmm. Indiegogo or whatever it was. And, uh, and then, you know, got the book because I supported the, I, I'm doing that more and more for like music and books and what, and whatnot is, is uh, supporting the creation of the thing through the, you know, pledge music or Indiegogo or Kickstarter. I, uh, and one of the things I'm trying to do amidst all this technological disruption is find a way to more directly support uh, artistic creation. What about the funniest science book you read this year? I'm always interested to hear kind of one of what the most entertaining or funniest one is because I find that's a great way to get people into reading science that aren't necessarily that don't necessarily tend to read science. I've definitely pulled my sister in that way by providing her the funny ones and then I get her sort of sucked in. Um, so my favorite's not science, but it's STEM. It's called Math with Bad Drawings, Illuminating the Ideas that Shape Our Reality by Ben Orlin. And I found myself just laughing out loud at the, the different things he would use as examples to explain things and then to, to you know, grab one of my kids, they're older, but to go, oh, listen to this, haha, ha, you know. So I really loved his sense of humor and the lightness that he brought to the very good math that's in the book that he explained. Um, and of course, bad drawings. They're not so bad, but you know, they're not a professional artist either. So that added a bit of whimsy to the book. And I really appreciated it. So my two favorite books of the year, uh, Lost in Math and Brazen are both 
are, are both hilariously fun books. But the one that really stru- uh, stuck out for me in terms of uh, generally humorous content was How to Invent Everything, A Survival Guide for the Stranded Time Traveler by Ryan North, uh, which is an unbelievably wonderful, funny, joyous, hilarious book. The conceit is that it's the manual that they tuck under the seat uh, in these time machines. And if you're so if you're a time machine and you're going into the past and you get, you know, I don't know, stuck in prehistoric times. I mean, what are you going to do? Your your uh, time machine just broke down and you're stuck there and you're not getting back. You have to reinvent human civilization. And so this book basically goes through all the things you need to know to reinvent human civilization. And the conceit is kind of hilarious. The North just tells it in a very funny, engaging, lighthearted, sarcastic, irreverent way. And so you learn how to, you know, uh, make charcoal. You learn how to reinvent propositional logic. He gives you philosophy in, you know, every, uh, major f- uh, schools of philosophy uh, in one sentence involving a high five, how to preserve food, make harnesses for animals, inventing kilns, testing foods to see if they're poison. So all these kinds of things you would need to know to reinvent human civilization in in kind of a hilarious package. I mean, there's some bits that if it if he was trying to be serious, there were some there were some things that I thought were missing. He he, for example, he concentrates more perhaps on the the uh, professions than the trades. The thing that you you know, if I got stranded ten thousand years ago, the thing you would have to teach me is carpentry, right? Mm. <laughs> um, and you know, for example, this, you know, if I wanted to restart human civilization, or you know, me and my friends wanted to restart human civilization, probably you know, um, maternal uh, a chapter on maternal care and childbirth would have been handy, right? Yeah, um, that feels important. Yeah. <laughs> that feels important to me, but it was you know, there was some kind of first aid e kind of things, but. Right. If you're restarting civilization, uh, there's some things that are going to kind of stare you in the face in a pretty important way. But anyways, those quibbles aside, I, I really, really enjoyed the book. So just before we end, any shout outs for what's on the horizon for 2019 books that you see coming that are already making it onto your list of things to look at getting? Okay, before we do that, can I have there's one book that didn't fit into any of the other categories yeah. that I that I really I really want to mention for sure. because it was such a wonderful book. Uh Bringing Columbia Home: The Untold Story of a Lost Shuttle and Her Crew by Michael Lineback and Jonathan Ward. It's a really moving account of the Columbia shuttle disaster. Uh Michael Lineback was the shuttle launch director at uh, Kennedy Space Center and and led the recovery and kind of research efforts to kind of get to, get to what happened. And it's just a really wonderful book. Uh it's very sad, it's very moving, and it's but it's also kind of hopeful in a way because it's the story of people who who were trying to do the best uh to make the best and to learn something from 
from a really awful situation. So I, I, uh, you know, I really, I really enjoyed that book. For something that's coming next year, I would say uh, Underground, A Human History of the Worlds Beneath Our Feet by Will Hunt. That looked like it was going to be all about sewers and subway tunnels and stuff like that. So that'll be great fun. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. So uh, I was happy to hear you mentioned Lee Smolin has a new book coming out. So I guess that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, I don't, I didn't see anything like last year. I just knew we had Deborah Bloom and Carl Zimmer and uh, David Kwame. We had some big names publishing books. So there are things I'll be looking, yeah, looking forward to. Well, thank you so much, both of you, to uh, for coming on and talking about your books. Uh, there's already a massive pile of books that I now see I'm going to be reading over the next 12 months until we speak again. Um, thank you so much for your time today. As always, it's great to have you back. And uh, John, uh, look forward to having you back for number 10. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, good to, good to talk to you again, John. Yeah, great to talk to you again, too. And if you want that list of books we talked about today, you can find a link to the blog post with that list and links to where you can buy the books in the show notes for this episode, which as per usual will be at our website, scienceforthepeople.ca. Next up, Bethany and I search the internets for the best nerdy gifts we can find. Hello, Bethany. Happy Hanukkah. Hello, Rochelle. Merry Christmas. So it is that time again for our nerd science gift extravaganza. We just heard about an awesome selection of science books from John Dupuis and Joanne Manister. And we all know that nerds like books. But sometimes we nerds also like things that are not books. Do you like things that are not books? Nerds like things that aren't books? I know. Like every once in a while, we put a book down and do something with something that isn't a book. It's a weird world. I am shocked. Shocked, I tell you. I don't know. I'm suspicious of this claim, but I do use things in real life. So maybe, I don't know. I will admit I like coffee with my books. That's true. And boy, do we have some gifts for you. So as we have done for the past, who knows how many years, we have scoured the internet for some science and nerd themed gifts that you can get for that special someone. You know who I'm talking about. You'll be able to find a blog. You can buy it for yourself. Okay, yes. So you can totally buy it for yourself. Yes. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to say anything, but it's possible that I bought something from our list last year that I'm looking at right now, which is a clock and it's lovely and I adore it. (laughs) So you'll be able to find a blog post with links to all the items we'll be talking about on our website, uh, which is scienceforthepeople.ca. And we'll make sure to put the links in this year's gift buying blog post into the show notes for this episode, just to make them really easy for you to find. So if you're listening to this and don't have a pen or pencil handy, no worries, chill out, relax, you can always go to the blog post and click the links later. Um, and also, if this episode has reminded you of the cool things that you heard us talk about in a previous Nerd Give gift episode from previous years, don't worry, we keep an archive of all the past gifts we talked about and links to where you can hopefully still find them, including the uh, bubble popping calendar, which was amazing and everyone should have one every year. It's really great, I'm not gonna lie. So where better to start than Christmas cards? Because I'm sure right now everybody's thinking about... Uh, what Christmas cards they're going to send, who they're sending Christmas cards to, and what better way to remind people of the wonderfuls of nerdness and science than to find a science gift card. Uh, so I've got some that I found on Etsy, uh, which I love. They're Christmas ho-ho-ho elements card. Uh, so it, they're lovely. 
uh, I highly recommend, if not these science cards, then find some kind of way of sharing your love of science with the world at Christmas, uh, if you're sending them a message anyway. And I actually immediately, when I think of science gifts, I, I go to the kitchen because I have I have a baking problem. See? <laughs> um, it's kind of an issue. I'm not going to lie, um, because it results in, in many, many baked products that I end up having to give away to my neighbors. My neighbors love me. So at least there's that. Um, but yes, I am always looking forward to receiving new items and gadgets for my kitchen. Um, so I wanted to start with the Freudian Sips coffee mug, <laughs> which is just hilarious. I mean, it's Every science, but, at it. but maybe not science, but it was so good. That's so Freud though. I know. <laughs> it's not, it's not science. It's Freud. And it's, it's got this picture of Freud with a little cup teacup and it says when you say one thing but mean your mother <laughs> which is the most freud thing and, that ever freuded and i mean there's a few coffee mugs that we wanted to talk about because both you and i are intensely fond of coffee and we know that a huge number of our listeners probably also love both coffee and a good mug to put the coffee in um so i found one that is the unemployed philosophers guild geological time mug which has a kind of colorful image on the outside of the mug showing you all 26 geological eons epoch and epochs and major events uh it's really fun i love it i want one so bad they are really cool i'm not gonna lie um, I also, I will just say, I know there are some people in this world who don't like to put coffee in coffee mugs, which I understand. There are other things that you can put in coffee mugs, like, uh, lattes and cappuccinos and espresso. Yeah. Tea. <laughs> and I suppose tea and hot chocolate and other things that are not actually coffee, but in my head, there is only coffee. I feel like tea um, is substitute really love, coffee. And, and, and I really love this particular, it's a research coffee mug. Because it's the it it brings me back to my days as a scientist in a very intense way. <laughs> it's a just a simple black mug that says research definition what you're doing when you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> and that is research <laughs> on so many levels. There are so many layers of not knowing what you're doing <laughs> in research that I wish I'd had this on my lab bench in the food safe area of the lab bench. Um, when I was a scientist, I would totally use it. You could just point to it when someone asked you what you were doing. You could just be like, mm, that right there. No idea. Yep. <laughs> Definitely in full on research mode. <laughs> and if you appreciate, uh, math jokes, uh, I did manage to find a, an excellent, uh, math mug, which was, um, a, uh, a mathematical sort of equation, which, uh, basically amounts to just got real. And that probably got beeped out because we're not allowed to say sh- on this show, but that's okay. You should go check out this mug, and if you're mad, how many times are you trying you to beat this. this particular section? <laughs> <laughs> Just to make sure our editor's uh, awake, making sure that he's on his toes. It's it's a little test for Ryan. Um, I actually, I sort of want, but then I sort of don't want this. You found this space masher, potato masher, and it's like a rocket ship. But the bit where like all the smoke would be billowing at the bottom is a potato masher. And I kind of like it because it's a potato basher, and I kind of like it because it looks vaguely like a sex toy. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you do with it. It's definitely you a- You cannot deny that looks like a sex toy. It, it does. It does a little bit. It's definitely a conversation starter. 
<laughs> what type of conversation is up to you? That's true. And there are many types of conversations to be had at Christmas. There is, in fact, an entire um, specialty romance novel, novel genre that is based around Christmas. Not that I would know anything about that. <laughs> I shall have to get you that offline. <laughs> <laughs> um so other things that I, I admit I fell in love with this one, it's this adorable set of Loch Ness monster shaped kitchenware and the large one at the bottom, the big Nessie is green and she's a colander and the mid-size Nessie is purple and she's a ladle and the mini-size Nessie is blue and he's a tea strainer and I don't know why I assigned genders to those Nessies because I don't know their lives <laughs> but like they're so cute and I love the color scheme. It's very, I just, I, I just, I love it. And I really need a Nessie colander in my life. That is something that I never knew I needed before. I love these kinds of kitchen things because I've in my past had small kitchens where I've had to like put some of my kitchenware just out on a counter. And something like that is so great because it's, it's out on the counter, but it's also really cute. I love it. And they're all dishwasher safe, which is really, really critical. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but also, I, can I just say, you don't have to have a small kitchen to put things out on the counter. You just have to have a kitchen gadget problem. <laughs> a kitchen Not gadget that I know addiction. anything about that. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> For the hot sauce lover in your household, of which I have, I definitely live with someone who enjoys hot sauces, enjoys a variety of them, is always looking for the hotter hot sauce, but also the one that tastes really nice. Because if you just get one that's sort of stupid hot, like that's kind of novel. But if you can find one that's both really hot, but also tastes good... Uh, that is like the golden idol of hot sauces. And I, I found this, um, DIY gourmet hot sauce kit that has recipes in it. So you can not only experiment with hot sauces and try some different ones, but also figure out how they're made and learn how to make them. And it comes with all the ingredients you need. Um, and then from there, as with most things, once you learn how they're made, you can probably start to like jump off and tweak it a little bit to your taste. That seems super cool. I actually predict that this is going to be the next hot DIY trend, you know, like before hot it was, D you know, making your own beer, beer and now, oh yeah. Yeah. I meant to do that. The hot, the hot trend. DIY mm -hmm. trend hot. Mm -hmm. eh. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I am not a hot sauce person, but I am a beer person. Um, and I am totally in love with these heroes of science pint glasses and in part i am in love with them because i owned one and i didn't know until i saw this link i got a pint glass from my parents um a couple years ago and it's rosalind franklin and i just loved it because i have a deep love and respect for rosalind franklin and i just figured it was like a one-off thing that they got from somewhere but no it is part of this heroes of science pint glass collection and I am so excited by it. And now I really need Florence Nightingale and Ada Lovelace and Marie Curie. And I guess Darwin can come too. And sure, maybe, maybe Tesla. He's all right. I mean, I suppose. Eh. I mean, you could just have some nice science ladies on your, on your counter. I'm thinking the, 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 yeah, the science heroines, heroines of science pint glass collection is what I really need out of my life. Absolutely. And if you're in the DIY mood still and you want to try and make some other things, I also found a cheese making kit. Um, I've actually used a cheese maker or cheese making kit before and it's quite interesting. I didn't really know the process of making cheese. And anytime I learn how to make something, uh, I really enjoy it. But also you learn more about how your food is made, which I think is something we're really out of touch with. And I love 
the opportunity to just like get my hands on and try and make something from scratch. The older I get, the more like into that I get. And I'm not sure what that says about me, but I'm okay with it. I really love, I actually have done a couple of recipes for my own cheese, just like on my own. And one of the things I love about it is that there is no, it's one of the, one of the recipes that you make in the kitchen where the chemistry is just so shockingly obvious. Mm. It's just, you add, you know, acid and just, it's like, oh my God, (laughs) you have added acid. (laughs) And it's like, it's watching this chemical reaction and it's really quite, quite beautiful. And well, maybe, maybe cheese is just beautiful to me. Cheese is, is very beautiful to me, but um, I, I find it really, really inspiring to just be able to actually watch chemistry take place. All right, let's move on to home and home decor. I am really excited by this coaster set you found that's custom maps. And so you can come up with maps of your favorite neighborhood or whatever, and it, they will make a custom map coaster set of your neighborhood. So if you're the sort of person who wants a custom map set of Brooklyn, you can do that. But I looked at this and immediately went, I could get a custom coaster set of the map of Middle Earth because priorities. (laughs) (laughs) So now that's what I'm thinking about. (laughs) I approve of your life choices. Uh, Let's talk about clocks because clocks are one of my favorite things to have around the house. I'm one of these people that likes ticking clocks as well. So uh, I'm very much pro clock. The first one I want to talk about is the is the Wonder Zoo auto flip clock, which hangs on your wall. Um, It's apparently quite quiet as well, but it's one of those like old fashioned clocks where the cards flip over to tell you the time. I love how mechanical this clock is. As we're sort of like just moving to a world where you see less and less of how things work, I love how just like physical this clock is. It makes me really happy. So part of me likes it. The other part of me, like, I think that if I turned over my shoulder and just caught this thing moving out of the corner of my eye, it's like all of a sudden I'm in a I'm I'm in a horror film. (laughs) So I don't know how I feel about that one, but I'm in love with this handcrafted mechanical wooden pendulum clock kit. I love it. It is a kit full of gears and you put the gears together according to the instructions. And in the end, you have a clock and it works. And I love this because it's like a puzzle. But like usually when you finish a puzzle, it's just like there on the coffee table and then you have to disassemble it because it's taking up crazy amounts of space and it probably took you two months anyway. But this, when you finish it, when you finish this puzzle, you hang it on your wall and it tells you the time. And I just, I love that. I think it's adorable and it's really pretty. It looks really cool. And just the idea of sort of spending a bit of my Christmas holiday trying to figure out how to piece together a clock and learning like in a really like solid way how a clock works, that just makes me really excited. I would love to sit down and mess around with putting together a clock. Also, never underestimate those moments of quiet bliss. True story. Yeah. For those chemistry nerds that might be in your life, we also have a chemistry time clock where instead of uh, time, it actually tells you, um, it replaces the numbers found on the face of the clock with symbols of elements that have corresponding, the corresponding uh, atomic numbers, which I think is really lovely. Obviously a little harder to tell time if you're not a chemist, but you'll figure it out. It's fine. And also there's nothing quite like 10 minutes to lithium. <laughs> Love it. 
I'm into it. Uh, and you're excited by this binary clock, right? You want to talk about something that's hard to tell time. <laughs> so I haven't actually looked into precisely how one tells time on this binary clock, but I do like the idea of uh, the binary clock because even if you don't necessarily know it's a clock, there's something kind of interesting about it. And I think it would look really good in my office uh, above my word clock, which I bought from our list last year. So I'm just basically looking to build out a collection of really interesting different clocks. Um, so maybe this one's more for me. But if you like kind of novel clocks, also, if you know binary, um, you may find this quite fun to read. I'm actually just picturing now, like in three years, you're just going to have a giant wall of clocks just uh, like on your office, all these different clocks, and they all chime at the same time, because you also like horror movies. <laughs> I mean, that does sound kind of cool. I did in a previous office have three ticking clocks that had times from different time zones. Um, and I'm thinking at some point, I would like to recreate that some people found it completely unable, they found themselves completely unable to be in my office, though, because they all ticked and they all tick slightly off each other as well. <laughs> I would murder things. I would murder so many things. I found it very together or not at all, Rochelle. (laughs) I found it very personally soothing. (laughs) Um, So speaking of soothing, if you find Einstein's equations incredibly soothing, you can get a comforter set that's covered in Einstein physics formulas. And it's a, it's this, Adorable. I, you know, I feel like this is one of those betting sets that you get when you really want to let someone's geek flag fly at like college in mm-hmm. their dorm or something like that. Um, it is really cool. It looks like, uh, all the formulas are on a chalkboard kind of style. Um, but it's a comforter. It's, it's, it's cute. Actually, I'm kind of into it. I always sort of am looking for interesting things that I might want to put someday on a guest room bed. And I yeah. think that's, I think that would be a good, uh, a good one to do. I want to talk about maps because I love maps and maps are just gorgeous in their own right. And I found this uh, store on Etsy called Pencil of Nature Prints, and they have a whole section of maps and charts where they take historic maps and print them out massive for you. And they're just some of the, the prints they have here are so gorgeous, different maps of the world, different maps of parts of the world um, from different eras. They're just, there's some beautiful, beautiful prints on here. Um, they have one that I'm particularly fond of, which is a geological chart, um, pictorial map, which was from, uh, from Yagi, I believe. It's from Levy Walter Yagi. It's just such a gorgeous piece. And really, there's a spot in my office right now where I wish it could hang. There's some really cool stuff in the shop. So I'm also a, uh, so I am, raised Jewish. And so obviously, I was not raised with Christmas trees. Um, but I am actually kind of a sucker for Christmas ornaments, as in I, I love to look at them. <laughs> I never buy them, obviously, because no Christmas tree. But these are really cute. They are these circuit board, they're made out of circuit boards, and they're Christmas tree ornaments, and they're laser cut to look like science things. And I am especially attracted to the ornament that is shaped like a microscope. Yes, which I think I actually, I think I just need it as a necklace. Yeah, you could actually probably put that just as a pendant on a necklace. Think, that would be cool. Yeah, I think I need it as a necklace. <laughs> Add to shopping cart. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about science board games, because this time of year, you're getting together with your friends, you're getting together with family, and sometimes it's you just want to bring something that's an activity you can do together. So why not bring a board game? And why not bring a game that is science themed? I'm just going to go ahead and say that I think that board games have probably saved 
more holiday family dinners than probably any other item because if there's anything that will stop you from like talking about politics it's you know freaking out over the game you're playing so i would like to say that for the sake of family harmony i'm promoting all of these games but i'm especially excited about this one that i was actually playing last night i was playing this game last night it's called evolution climate um and it is a stunningly beautiful game it's got beautiful art And what you do is you have species and you create, so you have your species and you put traits on your species and the traits allow them to avoid other species eating them, for example, but they also allow your species to grow in population while avoiding extremes of climate. And then you also, every turn, change the climate. So the climate gets warmer or the climate gets colder, depending on the cars you put down, which affects the amount of food available, which affects whether or not your species lives for another turn. It's a wonderful game because it really brings together both a lot of the concepts of natural selection, but it also brings together a lot of the concepts of how climate changes can affect animals in different ways. Um, so I, I really like it. And the artist is also just really stunning. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. As I was playing it, I was like, oh my goodness, I can see that this section here um, is meant to make you think about how um, your population of your you know species is going to change in response to climate based on its body size. So it, it's just, it has a lot of like nerd cred. I've never played this game before, but just looking at the art on the box, it looks beautiful. It's really gorgeous. It's got this wonderful kind of, I hate to use this word, painterly mm-hmm. style to it. Is that the right word? I don't know whether I'm using it right. I know what you mean, and I think our listeners will too. <laughs> and I did want to recommend a game that probably most of our listeners have heard of. It's called Pandemic, and I love it <laughs> um, because it's cooperative. Um, and it's about people trying to beat a worldwide pandemic that's going to kill off humanity. And I love it partially because too real, you guys, too real. I hope nobody ate romaine over the American Thanksgiving. <clears throat> it's pretty real. But also, I love it because it's so hard to beat the game. Like something like two thirds of the time, the virus wins. All right, now let's talk about buying gifts for people who are nerds, but also like to get some utility out of their gifts. They're not necessarily into art. They've got their sort of home decor sorted. They're not into kitchen stuff, but they do like a bit, a a gift that's got some utility behind it. So the first thing I want to talk about is for the people in your life that might be trying to start to take their online security really seriously, or might have a business that they run and they kind of need to take their online security more seriously. Look at getting this person a YubiKey. So this is a sort of physical thing that instead of um, using two-factor authentication via a text message, because as we go forward, that's becoming easier and easier to spoof. And there's a lot of reports of what's called SIM swapping, where people are basically stealing your phone number to get access to your two-factor authentication. Because the thing with SMS is if you get someone's phone number, then in a lot of cases, you can actually reset someone's password just from a phone number, which is terrifying. Um, oh my God. So something like YubiKey is a great option for things that you really don't want someone to get a hold of, uh, the really critical stuff, like your banking, um, your email is really important because all of your online accounts can be reset 
from your email. So you want to make sure your email is really carefully locked down. Um, and these are actually physical tokens that you take with you and that you can uh, run and give something authorization to gain access to. So it's much, much more difficult for someone to gain access to your accounts. And they're not that expensive. And once you kind of get them set up on something like your Gmail, they work pretty well. Um, so definitely something to look at for somebody in your life who needs to start taking their online security a bit more seriously. Uh, well, now I think that's me because you just freaked me out really good. <laughs> um, so I'm interested in, I'm sure that uh, readers around the world will have heard the great straw debate that erupted a few months ago um, in America with everybody talking about how we need to get rid of plastic straws and how that's actually kind of ableist because there are people who really, really need plastic straws. And But then there are lots of people who say, okay, well, maybe I can just give up my plastic straw on my own. And, you know, instead of demanding that companies not use them and denying them to people who need them, I can just carry my own straw. The only problem with this is, you know, okay, then you have this tiny straw that you carry around and that gets gross, like surprisingly quickly. Um, so I'm a really big fan of this collapsible, reusable, stainless steel foldable straw because first of all, there's three things that make it awesome. One, it is foldable. Two, it fits on your keychain. Three, it comes with a cleaning brush, which is so essential. So it has a cleaning brush so you can keep it clean. And that means I need one. It's all the things you need from a collapsible straw. Which is not a sentence I ever thought that I would hear. <laughs> I also wanted to quickly highlight these LED glove flashlights, because um, I think these are some of the most useful things I've seen in a while, and I really want a pair. Uh, they're basically these gloves that you can put on your hand. So they're fingerless, and they really only um, kind of cover your pointer finger and your thumb. Uh, and they don't cover the whole thing. They just kind of sit over top. But they've got lights on both the pointer finger and the thumb. So if you're working in a dark environment and need to see what your fingers are working on, you get light right where you need it, which is basically where your fingers are working. Uh, they look incredibly handy and really useful, and I definitely want a pair. So things that are sort of useful, but also great looking. Um, so I'm really excited about this magnifying glass necklace. Um, it's from Svaha USA, which is S-V-A-H-A USA. Um, and I love this uh, company. I actually supported them when they were kickstarting their their whole idea. Um, they make science-themed clothing for kids and for women with pockets. It's all got pockets, and it's all machine wash, and it's awesome, and I own like five of their dresses. But they also have jewelry, including a magnifying glass necklace, which who doesn't need a magnifying glass? Just like hanging out and ready for use because I don't know about you, but I constantly need that really. I love how this is so understated. Like it looks like just a nice classy necklace and then you find out that it's super useful. Love that stuff. All right, so we are vastly running out of time. So we're just going to highlight a couple of our favorite things. But the full list will be available uh, online for you to go through at your leisure. So I want to talk about something that is not at all sciencey, but is hilarious and very nerdy, especially if you were to ever use it. The ostrich pillow. Can you have a look at this? This is it's hilarious. So this, how do I describe this? This is a pillow you basically wear over your head. So not on your head, but over your head, like it's some sort of pillow sack. And it's got a little like hole in the front for your nose and your mouth so that you don't kind of get smufflicated. You 
are able to breathe easily, but then it just surrounds your head with pillow on all sides. So in any situation, you're like able to fall asleep. It's just the most ridiculous and amazing looking thing. And I definitely want one. And I want pictures of everyone I know wearing one. I think I just need one like whenever the internet just gets to be too much. I'm just gonna <laughs> stick my head in an ostrich pillow. Yes, like definitely. That, I mean, goals. <laughs> like um, goals. So I just want to mention these beautiful blocks. So if you are like me, I have some adorable little nieces and I like to buy them things because I want to buy children things. It's just super fun. And it's a chance to buy children stuff. Um, but also there's these beautiful bug blocks. They are called Uncle Goose bug blocks and they're blocks and they all have bugs on them. And they're these really adorable drawings of the bugs and they all have labels. So, you know, you can tell like that's a rhino beetle. Um, and so it allows you to kind of learn the names of the bugs as you play with the blocks. They're really beautiful. They're also really understated, which I like. Um, so they're really pretty and I'm kind of into them. I, on the topic of kids, uh, I want to talk about the Pika Toys wooden solar and wireless remote controlled car. So it's a kit that allows you to build your own car, including all the circuits, but also to put a solar panel on it. So you're also learning how solar uh, electricity works, which is really cool. And this one, which is unusual for these kinds of kits, comes with a little remote control. So not only do you have it solar powered, but also you get a remote so you can move it forwards and backwards and steer it. It looks really cool. And what a great way to spend an afternoon. Uh, in another set of things that kids would probably enjoy, there is this wonderful kit called Dirty Old Coins. And it's seriously Dirty Old Coins. You get a whole bunch of Dirty Old Coins with 11 genuine ancient Roman coins. Um, I'm not sure if they're actually genuine. I mean, it's true that ancient Roman coins are very common, but I don't know. Anyway, um, but they have 11 uncleaned coins. So it's like you get these old coins and you get to scrub them off yourself. And then you get to kind of like find out about them as you scrub them off, which is awesome for people like me who love that sort of history nerd thing. But also awesome in that you get your children to clean something, (laughs) which I feel like is kind of a secret goal of every parent's life. Definitely. I am going to talk about the adult nerds in our life who remember the classic Star Trek uh, and I found the, from the wand company, the Star Trek Bluetooth communicator. So this is, you remember the old school original Star Trek, like flip to answer communicator? Uh, this is one of those, except it runs on Bluetooth and connects to your phone. So you can actually make calls from your Bluetooth communicator, like a Star Trek pro, and it looks great. And I'm having all kinds of nerd feelings about this. So for adult nerds, why have a magic eight ball? when you can have a Schrodinger's cat to help make decisions. I want this so badly. This is so wonderful. It's this tiny little box. And what you do is you ask the box a yes or no question, and then you slide open the door and see if the cat is dead or alive. (laughs) And if the cat is alive, the answer is yes. And if the cat is dead, then the answer is no. And I want one. (laughs) It's great. This is one of the best things that everybody, every science nerd should have on their desk immediately. It's so great. Um, I also, I, so I don't know about you, but I, so I go to an office every day and I always bring my lunch because I'm that nerd. I have been bringing my lunch places since I was, you know, very small. And, um, therefore lunch boxes are always a matter of fashion and thought and deep, important things. Um, and so this particular lunchbox, I am a huge fan. It is a large insulated lunchbox and it's white. And on the outside, it says human organ for transplants. <laughs> 
So if you want to walk around with a lunchbox that, of course, only contains fava beans and a nice Chianti, obviously, of course, you can have this lunchbox, which I might need in my life. Uh, So many delightful things that we can buy our nerdy friends or potentially our nerdy selves. Bethany, thank you so much. Uh, This has been great fun. And I look forward to next year's elaborate list of nerdy science gifts. Thank you. This is always one of the highlights, I think. I just love looking at fun nerd science things. And uh, for anyone listening, we will have links to all of these and more because we had more and they just didn't fit into our time. So you can go and see all of the weird and wonderful nerdy gifts that we found that people in your life might like. Look on the show notes for this episode, which you can find at scienceforthepeople.ca. And we will link to the list, uh, which usually sits on our blog, but you'll be able to find the link from the show notes. It's been great fun. And thank you for listening to Science for the People. See you next week. Science for the People is produced by Rochelle Saunders and edited by Ryan Bromsgrove. Helen Quivillon is our publishing liaison. We get research help from Josh Witten and consulting support from Desiree Shell. Our frequently seen guest hosts are Marion Kilgour, Anika Hazra, and Jessica Yaros. Our theme song is called Binary Consequence, and it was written and recorded by Fractal Pattern. Science for the People is entirely listener-supported. You can find us on Patreon, where you can support us with monthly donations in any amount, or you can send us a one-time donation in any amount via the donate page of our website. Science for the People is created in partnership with the Skeptic Network, a collection of blogs, podcasts, and video content focusing on the intersection of science, popular culture, politics, and social justice. You can find out more about Skeptic at Skeptic.org. The show is hosted by science news writer Bethany Brookshire and me, Rochelle Saunders. <laughs>